Hello and welcome to Relish the Journey, a podcast about the many different pathways of life and the stories that every person out there has to share. I'm your host, Miles Biggs, and my guest today is a very good friend of mine, Morgan Sheehan. I've known Morgan for going on 20 years now. He was the best man in my wedding, bandmate during my angsty teenage years, and all-around good guy. So, Morgan, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. Yeah. And, uh, get this party started. <laughs> so, isn't that weird to think, back to Stones Crossing Swim Club, when I was the new kid for like a year or something like that, and then all of a sudden, you were the new, new kid, and... It was me, you, and Wade, all like nine years old and chubby, walking around the swim club. Flash forward twenty years, and here we are. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's been a wild journey, to say the least. Uh, we've been, or we've or all three of us have been through so much, and it's crazy to think now, like back on those days, like uh, to see you or Wade. It's like a, it's like an event almost. Where looking back on it, maybe I don't know, took it a little bit for granted being just always with one another when we were younger, just having a blast. Yeah, I definitely think that's a good way to phrase it because it was just all the time. Swim practice every morning, and then we'd worked together, and then we'd hung out together. You know, we always dated girls that were in the same circle of friends, so then we'd go out on dates together, as weird as that sounds, but it'd be like double or triple, triple dates, hanging out in a group. Yeah, and then, good. One date you'd be dating one girl, I'd be with the other, and then yeah. the next day, they would both be dating, you know, we'd be dating the other ones. <laughs> that is kind of funny. There are definitely a few girls when, like, I don't know, we were about 13 or 14, where, like, everybody just went out with his girl for a couple months. Yeah, it was like a, uh, a social experiment we didn't know we were part of. Yeah. And that's what's and funny. I looked like, from, uh, like, an outsider's perspective, like, people older than us, or even our parents, like... Must have been laughing all the way to the bank. Oh, <laughs> our parents were definitely laughing. I mean, looking back, they're definitely just laughing the whole time. Yeah, and we thought right. they we thought they didn't know, but they probably knew absolutely everything and just laughed very hard yeah. about it. <laughs> I agree. I mean, how could you? I mean, and that's what when you so when you think about it, though, it sounds weird to say because it's they're so a part of everything now, but. That was before anything similar to Snapchat or Instagram or even Facebook. I think we all had Zangas. Um, Zanga was like a little bit after we first met. I mean, I think when we first all met, there was LimeWire and D- Dell D- Del Pocket DJs and uh, AOL Instant Messenger. Yeah, that's what it was, AIM, because not having like a, a good uh, away message was like the... Uh, the equivalent of like a good photo these days on oh, Instagram. Yeah. It was just it's so it's, so it's funny to think about now because what we just explained nowadays, if you did that, it would be like I don't know. People would look at it like they'd probably call that girl a slut because every other week she'd be with a different guy on a photo on Instagram or something, and they're all the best friends, and it would be this crazy thing. But back then, it was just like, oh, okay, so and so is with Morgan now. Cool. I guess they're all still friends. You know, it's. I think they all take it a lot more serious now That's than true. we ever really did, I guess. Like, I'm not saying we weren't overly efficient teenagers like everyone else, but it seems like nowadays they like really are uh, vulnerable to emotion. Yeah, well, it's all... Man, now we're getting this real this rabbit hole of social media, but it's really like you only put the good stuff out there 
and so they put something out there, and if nobody likes it, then they just feel like a terrible person, and then some people even delete it too. Like, oh really? I'm, oh yeah, some people definitely do. Like you only get a certain amount of likes or comments or whatever or likes, and they just delete and, it. yeah, like so you know they feel kind of ashamed. They only got six likes, but I mean honestly, I don't hang out with six different people outside of my co-workers that takes like you know seriously that was six people every single day so to expect more than that is kind of well think of the progression of that remember myspace then it went from zang into myspace and you had your top eight so having eight people was like you felt like really cool and now if you only get eight likes it's oh my gosh you know i'm unworthy you haven't even hit double digits yet like it's it's like I don't know. Like you're not even you have no friends, I guess. It's funny. <laughs> that's what that's what people seem to associate it with, oddly enough. Yeah. Dude, and speaking of those days, flashing flashing forward a little bit, when I was do doing the prep for this and I ended up buying the rights to a, a different song for the intro and outro of this thing. But at one point I went and I said, you know what? I wonder if I Google a specific band name, will I still find said band name's music and said band name is our band. I didn't want to say the name because I don't need to invite public search <laughs> into that and never live that down. But I Googled it and I found it on MySpace still and on Pure Volume still. Pure Volume. I was just thinking what that one music site was. Yeah. And I was able to download all of the tracks still. And wow. I, I started um I started editing the one um That'd be called CSI Got Nothing on Me because it had that really cool guitar riff that Paul did. And I thought. I was actually just about to interrupt you and say that little, like, dude, yeah. And so I was trying to, I was like, man, that'd probably be cool to do for an intro. But in my mind, it was this beautifully mastered recording (laughs) of this amazing guitar riff. And I download it, and it's a guitar riff recorded in your drum teacher's basement when we were 15 and it just didn't sound as cool but it was it was funny to go out and see our selfies that we all took in the mirror with our flip phones and then create a collage for our band photo or the uh photo of us on stage at brenda and jerry's playing a show it was just a really funny walk down memory lane. So this isn't all right. Sorry, this isn't supposed to be me talking. It's me interviewing you. So, but I wanted to talk to you about that. Just I have my own memories, but I wanted to hear about that from your perspective. Just looking back on being in a rock band as a teenager. What do you remember uh, about that? What I remember most about that was just the uh, the fun we had, and it was probably something that we took uh, seriously, but we were so, still not so good at it um but i remember how fun it was i mean and we were all right at that age where relationships started to kind of matter in our heads a lot more and uh like you had a girlfriend like you you dated her you actually dated her like you like bought gifts you celebrated anniversaries like it it was when those things started to become more serious and i remember just getting together and releasing a lot of anger through the lyrics and maybe even the musical tracks from the instruments if you really listen to it there's probably a lot more like emo driven and grunge driven than like you know a jack johnson guitar no yeah definitely not jack johnson well yeah talk about anger you were the drummer so you say whenever you threw that double bass pedal in you were just releasing some uh pent-up aggression oh yeah i mean 
between the uh, double bass pedal and breaking, I don't know, hundreds of drumsticks for no reason. Like, I used to play loud, and I never really knew why, but it's probably just... Drumming's always been a way for me to release aggression. I still do it. I have a drums, the same drums that I set up in my basement. I still just go down there sometimes and haven't gotten any better, unfortunately. I <laughs> but um, yeah, sometimes I still just go down there and bang around. And a lot of those times is when I'm angry about something. It's a great release for me. Yeah. But back to your question about what I remember the most, just everyone hanging out and trying to create something i think that's one of the coolest parts about music is it's an art form and i don't know there's paintings that are all blue with one yellow dot that people think are incredible and will pay absurd amounts of money for but like our music is equivalent to that painting in my opinion you know like nothing really special but some people maybe did find it special and i don't know i think for me it was a really cool experience mainly because it was just something at such a young age that we all put such a big effort into. And I don't think a lot of kids that age did that. Yeah. Like, having band practice. Like, we took band practice, like, probably more serious than we did, like, homework sometimes. <laughs> and, Definitely did, yeah. You know, just uh, the amount of passion we had for it and the fun we had while pushing ourselves and each other. I remember that the most. Just, yeah. It was just so good raw energy and... What was funny is like you said, like we almost had no business doing it. Like none of us understood music theory or had any idea of what we were doing. We we're just like, let's see what happens. And that sounds good. Let's roll with that and tried to kind of force it to fit. Uh, Absolutely. But uh, speaking of music theory, I mean, that goes back to the one time where we had that live show at Ben and Jerry's and we wanted to play that one track. Uh, I forget the name, but it was the one that Paul just like. Oh, yeah. Rock- that piano part for and we had no idea what you played i think that said, was yeah, yeah. and your sister uh caitlin sat down and tried to help us figure it out because she has that ear for the tone yeah and the note and i remember her saying to you and you told us later on like she was writing down she would listen to it then write down the keys and she'd be like this says this is just all over the place there's no like concept here like it was off the off the textbook and i think that's what made it better in my opinion was it was just kind of not so much textbooky it was just yeah all having fun and dude speaking of going back to cell phones i think that one was the track we called seven eight six six three seven because summer yeah you type it it out in t9 word on your flip phone (laughs) t9 T9 word. It, right. If you did 786637, it spelled summer and it also spelled stones. Oh, and that was our, that was everything. So yeah, that, that was, that was it, dude. But I agree, man. When you think about people laugh, I mean, I still laugh. Like our recordings were not that great. I still stand by the fact that we were better live. At least it seemed like we were better live than recorded. Cause I'll tell myself that too. Well, all right. It's pretty intimidating being in a recording studio at like age 16, 17 and really having no idea what you're doing. And you were just like throwing stuff down in one or two tracks when people spend all day doing one song and we bang out like four in a day. But, um, when you think about just, that's part of what I'm doing with this whole project is relish the journey. So it's going back and just kind of enjoying even if you didn't fully appreciate things in the moment, going back and appreciating them now, like how many people can say that they have even written their own song, 
let alone written it, performed it live, recorded it, and then hustled and sold the CDs and tickets to live shows. I mean, I remember I kept all the money in my safe, and at the end of it, we all walked away with like 150 bucks or something because of tickets. That's like like cool. Like, did all all the coolest, like, experiences of that whole thing was I was on a, a bus to a swim meet once and this one person um had an iPod and I asked if I could borrow it and they said yeah and I'm going through their artists to see which songs I want to listen to and they had our band dude that's really there. cool that's funny and, I mean I was kind of friends with um the girl but nothing like we didn't really hang out like she probably heard that I was in a band and but the fact that someone that I didn't tell to track it down and download it, that came across it in some way and then put it on their personal music device was just like one of the coolest feelings I think Oh yeah, I had at that particular time. When I look back and I think about stuff now and how it sounds cocky to say it, but I'm really fearless in a lot of like public speaking situations where it really doesn't bother me, whether it's in a board meeting and it's super serious at work or if it's just in a group of people, I have no idea who they are. I'm like that guy that raises his hand to volunteer because at this point, it's like, what are you going to do to embarrass me? Okay, like I've been up and sang my own songs on stage which then led to me singing the national anthem at a minor league baseball game and then like all this kind of crazy stuff where it's like you know what if i could do that this is really not hard at all no you're absolutely right it definitely gave us all confidence and i think that uh has led to the personalities that have developed for the people that were in that group i would say between the four of us we're all pretty like outgoing self-expressing yeah. people you know like uh you don't see like i mean jake literally like kind of lost it at the guy when he was like you guys have to get off stage <laughs> oh, i forgot like, about that most people don't even ever stand up for themselves like that and you know go back to we had no business ever doing this <laughs> he had that much drive to like tell this guy off like Oh man, that was Many so funny. Many people that age or ever would like stand up for themselves when yeah. an owner of an establishment is trying to tell you what to do. Trying to move the set list along and you're like, no, no you'll let me play. That. <laughs> that's really funny. Oh man, that's that's all coming back to me now. That, in the back, like the stove was like burning. Yeah. Like where we kept like all the... All the instruments. All the instruments, there was just a gas stove like half like lit and... <laughs> I remember we pull up and we're like, well, we must be lost. Like, this can't be where it's at. And we end up calling the guy and he's like, oh, I'll be right down. And he just comes out of a door that, like, looked like it was boarded up almost. He's like, yeah, yeah. it's up here. Like, okay. I tell you what, though, that was one of the coolest venues because it was one of the places where the front row of the audience was, like, two feet from your face. And the yeah. whole room was packed. So it wasn't, like, a big, open, empty room. There were There were a lot of people there. No, it was, it was cool. It's just from, uh, I guess it's uh, good lessons of don't judge a book by its cover. Sure. The outside looked uh, like a little bit of a, a shacky vibe. I guess it was. I think we referred to it as the crack house afterwards. Or, or like the <laughs> meth lab or something like that. It probably uh, it probably is used or has been used for that once or twice. And then I remember, man, after that, we... I don't know if I ever even told you guys about this because... I kind of took on the like the promoter hat for the band. You're very much the manager. Yeah. Well. So we there is some people might know this place called Croc Rock in Allentown. And when I was moving out of my parents' house a while ago, and I, th- I might still have it, 
Anyway, I found a pack of tickets because we signed up for a show that we never played, but it had yeah. it had the name of our band on these tickets and Croc Rock and like um I think I might. I actually ran. I, I came across a couple of the CDs that I still had that I just kept because I was just for nostalgia. I'll have to see if I can dig it up now. That I'm in the new house in the basement. Um, it was just funny. I was like, oh man, that was the thing we did once that I have tickets with our band name on it. That's cool. That's, I mean, that's a pretty big venue. Yeah, we just never played it. We could just say we did, but we never did. <laughs> it is now cool. As we done it, so. Thinking about social media, though, think about that with the promoting side like that was at the very beginnings of we had a myspace page and counted plays and people logged out of myspace people don't log out of facebook and instagram now that's a really great perspective on it yeah it was a like, thing you checked and then left and now it's something yeah, that we're on like, all the time continuous, like anytime i'm not talking to someone and i'm at my phone most people i feel like if they had to sign in most of them don't even know their password they have to like reset it so Absolutely. i know i do that was me all that. the time it drives me crazy yeah that's funny i feel like that nowhere too like it's not like i sign out it's like sometimes the app's just like please enter your password and i'm like this is weird like i never even logged out what's this about it's funny you say that too i actually found my dell pocket dj when i was uh moving out the screen was cracked but it was in that sweet like trifold leather like uh holder oh, yeah yeah a lot they of were, a lot of the- swim meets like that iPods were like I think there was a huge difference between Mac and PC at that time. Yeah. So like I think a lot of our parents didn't have Macs, so Dell was obviously like the way to go. And I remember the price difference was like dramatically less. Like Oh yeah. It wasn't even like iPods were like hundreds of dollars and a Dell DJ was like one forty nine and like Gave you enough room, it seemed like, where you would never fill it up. Which is good because you mentioned LimeWire before, and that was when you would just go and say, I'm going to download every single song that starts with the letter A, and yeah. wake up the next day and have it all, and load it on your Dell Pocket DJ and take it to the swim meet to listen to music. I remember when I first got my Dell Pocket DJ, I was unfortunate enough to have cable internet, so I had the phone line. So to, like, download a song was, like, an hour per song. So, like, to get a whole album was, like, that was, like, my Saturday nights as a teenager. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. And then this was LimeWire, and then, what was it, Kazaa was the other one? And... Yeah, Kazaa. And, because uh, I, I, I was, like, I wasn't into it when Napster was around. Yeah, I, was, I didn't like, either. my downloading times. That's funny. I forgot about that. That's such it's a crazy, crazy point. Like, open it happened. I mean, I guess there's torrents now, which are like exploited even more. Yeah. But like LimeWire didn't require like any type of knowledge. I mean, you, it was like Googling for something and then you could just illegally download it. And it was kind of just bizarre Dude. how long it took looking back on it for them to like stop that from happening. And it's funny that you mentioned torrents because before I spoke to you, I spoke to uh, my college roommate, Mike Tonart. And I'm pretty sure you are responsible for his DJ career. I don't know if you realize that. But you gave me that um, pirated version of Virtual DJ. Yeah, my college roommate gave it to me. That was actually where I found out about Torrance. Yeah, and then I gave it to Mike, and now there's DJ Tones in the world. And so it all goes back. There you go. What is it called? Like Six Degrees of Separation or something like that, where you helped create a DJ. (laughs) Yeah, he owes me a cut. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But, uh, no, 
I, I do remember, like, uh, YouTube both did it for a little bit in college, and then he just continued going down. Oh, yeah, and, he just uh, committed. He bought the whole setup and just went for it. And... Yeah, but I do remember, like, when I first sent it to you, you were like, yeah, dude, we're, like, using this thing for the biggest Lycoming parties. Like, it's absolutely awesome. Like, and it, it was. Like, it was, it was probably one of the first cool things I ever torrented, and it was, like, simple enough that you could like easily have a lot of fun quote DJing a song oh yeah and it was a perfect way for someone to learn yeah it was definitely fun especially in the college party circuit it was easy enough that you could be partially inebriated and still be able to work the dang thing <laughs> Absolutely. And just, uh, I don't know about you, but that was like the first thing I ever like learned how to like, like back in the day when you're playing music, it goes from, or even Pandora now, like one song ends and then like there's a pause. But like that was the first thing I ever like messed with transitioning tracks like in and out. And that was like a whole new thing. Yeah. As simple as that sounds, but. but I remember we used it to create our own power hours. Yeah, so there you go. I've actually, and my, I found an old iPod. That had the old Apple connector before the Lightning connector, and on some of the stuff on there, it was like a power hour that we made in college, and nice. it was really funny. All the different songs with one minute, just one minute of each, but then transitioned in with some sort of effect or a fade in and fade out, and it's kind of what funny. Do yeah. a power hour because, like, I I have a uh, alcoholic beverage often, <laughs> um, but. The last time I was out with people who drank a lot, it was my cousin, and we started playing this crazy, like, four-person-at-a-time beer pong game, and in, like, 30 minutes, I was, like, absolutely wasted, because I usually don't chug beer quickly anymore. The true thing of a power hour was supposed to be you took a shot of beer. Yes, a shot of beer. Every minute. minute. You take 60 shots of beer. But So I think that was only, like, so it's only 60 ounces of beer. Which equates to, like, under six beers. So I think that's, yeah, it's five beers. Five times 12 would be 60. So I guess in an hour, that's an aggressive amount of beer, depending on the kind of beer you drank. But we played it with, like, freaking mixed drinks. We we were stupid in college. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, like, 50-50, like, I don't know, Captain and Dr. Pepper. And it was probably the soda made it worse, just chugging that much soda in that much time. True. Hey, so moving... Moving from the uh, the band thing, talking about getting up in front of public, one thing that's really cool that uh, you did was speak at my wedding at the reception. I never really got to talk to you after that about what that was like for you because it was swept up in the moment of the day and the reception and getting married in the honeymoon and then just life. And we never really circled back to talk about it. So that's one of those questions I had for you is just, what was that like? You know, moments leading up to giving the speech, giving the speech afterwards, you know, I've not done that at anybody's wedding. So I was curious what that was like. Um, well, as far as the buildup goes, there wasn't too much buildup. Um, writing it was extremely difficult just because, um, like this conversation is gone, I would start creating a a bullet point on what I want to talk about. And then it would just, if there just pages would go by, I rough draft things by hand before typing. It just flows better out of my hand on a pencil versus a keyboard. Um, the buildup was, it wasn't too hard, uh, mainly because I wasn't too stressed about getting something down. Well, I shouldn't say that. 
probably like because you gave me like a year plus notice just about so about six months out i really started like focusing on trying to get something down and i did get a little stressed at first trying to find a way to start and then transition and then end like it was it was a little stressful trying to get it on paper but then i came to the realization that it was something I couldn't put on paper. It wasn't like, it would have been a very difficult assignment to write on paper. But just accepting at one point that I would just do it off of my own head or like gut feeling. Then the uh, preparation was a lot easier, mainly because I just said I wasn't going to prepare, maybe. Sure. But uh, it just, that wasn't too big of a deal until the day of. The day of, it all started to like kind of sink in. We were all indulging in alcohol uh, before. (laughs) You're so formal on the podcast. I do do remember trying to balance the act of my best friend's wedding and all my good friends are here, you know, taking shots and drinking before the wedding. And I'm trying to balance that fun time with I have to give a respectable speech of some level in front of a group of, I don't know, 100, 200 people, half of them I know very well and will see again. So, like, I'm by below this, it may be brought <laughs> up from time to time. Um, so that was a little nervous. It probably started months ahead of time, and then there was a period of kind of, like, staying relaxed and uh, cool about it. And then the day of happened and all those emotions came. And then right before it, actually, I spoke to our good friend Jake and I jokingly told him, like, when I'm done, I want you to have two shots lined up in my seat for when I sit down. So, like, even if I blow it, I can just kind of, like, disappear from the world (laughs) uh, mentally. And uh, he was nice enough to do that. But on top of that, uh, he kind of helped mellow me and kind of just like, you know, you got this kind of pat on the back, so to speak, thing. So that helped a lot. And then right before this guy comes in and he starts talking and I know I'm first. I know he's going to hand the microphone to me. And uh, even right now, like my hands are even getting a little sweaty just thinking about that uh, particular moment. And uh, so one thing leads to another, he hands me the mic and... What helped is I was able to write down a beginning. So I was able to have something to read off of in the beginning. And that was a huge help. But after that, it just kind of flowed. At least that's what I tell myself. Because as bad as it sounds or good as it sounds, it's like I remember it, but I don't. Like uh, It's uh, it's actually odd for me because afterwards people were telling me it was a great speech. But I don't necessarily even recall a lot of it because I was just speaking so rawly. I guess. Right. Like, uh, when I found that in moments where there's so much anticipation, your adrenaline's going, that once it's over, you just, it's like you blacked out. You're like, what, it's done? I don't even, what happened? So. Yeah, that's, that's how I felt. I did feel, that's probably the best description. It just kind of, it was a blur, but I know it wasn't bad, or at least maybe it was so bad and people are being nice and haven't told me it was awful. No. No, I had um, people come up to me afterwards and t- tell me they thought that was the best, best man speech they had ever heard. Yeah, people told me the same thing, and I really, I, I really hope someone gets got re- record. Yeah, I was gonna say we should record that person because my sister said she was gonna record it. She started recording, it, and then I asked her, and she said she didn't have it. So I don't know. Ever since she told me that, I've kind of thought like maybe it was so bad she doesn't want to show me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But um, it was definitely one of the most pressure times I've ever had. As much as that may be dramatic or no, it's not dramatic. anything, it's uh, it was an honor 
Dude, I mean, honestly, you are very respected, and a lot of people, I think, could have also, because you're so friendly with so many people, could have delivered a speech with just as much meaning. Like, it was an honor. One thing I actually for- I regret not saying in your speech is something I came up with uh, just thinking one day was um, I wanted to thank Miles, you, speaking a little third person, if you will, here. <laughs> That's fine. Out of all, as I look across the room and I see family and close friends and fraternity brothers and college roommates and all these people that were so close to you and you know so well and you have we all have such a bond together to be chosen out of that group to be by your side on that day was really an honor and one that like i i personally don't take lightly and just such appreciation and good energy and everything it was just a really positive experience that i i want to thank you for allowing me to be that person for you on that day yeah dude absolutely thank you i i mean i really couldn't have thought of anybody else to pick truly what i've always enjoyed about our relationship is you know it's odd going all the way back to where i was gonna say as we first started is i didn't like you at first (laughs) when we first met because you were like this threat to me i was used to being the new guy right and now there's this other new guy coming in stealing my thunder you know like that (laughs) that was my thing you know i was the new interesting person and now I got to compete for attention with this guy. But, um, you know, we got over that real quick. I mean, I don't even know what it was. But I just had to get out of my own freaking head at, you know, nine years old or whatever it was. But we've always been able to just whatever comes our way in life and no matter how many how much time goes, like when we don't see each other, when we do get together, talk on the phone, it's like, you know, if you're not sitting right next to me, it's like you're sitting right next to me. And if I haven't seen you for a year, it's like I just saw you yesterday, you know. So there's it's just such an ease to our friendship that, you know, that's what I needed that day. You know, I didn't want to have to worry about, you know, somebody with an ego or somebody to have to tiptoe around or bring up the speed on who all these people were. You know, you were able to just walk into a room and if you didn't know somebody, you got to know them. And you knew what I needed that day because you knew me better than just about everybody. So it was, it was perfect. So thank you. Oh, no problem. It was, uh, it was something I, I really do. It was one of the highlights of my life. I can honestly say that it was a, it was a big deal. To me, a bigger, I mean, bigger deal for you the day it was, but to be honest, to uh, look across the room and everyone that was there, it was, it was really an honor. Yeah, that was a great day. It, it was, was a fun day. I've been to other weddings, and maybe I've never been in another wedding. Maybe that's the difference, but I know it's not. That was uh, just a, a great, great time. I guess it was mainly because all my best friends were all there hanging out. That made it a lot easier for it to... It would have been hard for it not to be a great time. Yeah, but um, that was by far one of the one of the most fun weekends I've ever had. Just the people that were all together, the energy, the uh, the atmospheres. I mean, everything was just like you could argue uh, like perfect, especially for you guys. I mean, maybe not perfect. I shouldn't say that, but I feel like everyone was just having fun, and there was no like. I don't know, get back to social media, you see these crazy things that happen to some people on these, like, wedding weekends, and yeah. we have nothing but just good energy, good yeah, no uh, drama. Yeah, I'm look, I've never been in a wedding either, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think I told you this before, but Luke, he was, I mean, you remember Luke, he was in the wedding too, um, yeah. and he's getting married, and he asked me to be a groomsman in his wedding. Oh, very cool Luke. for them. I know they've been, uh, they've been dating for a while, so I'm sure they're both excited to yeah. move on to the next level or whatever people may call it these days <laughs> yeah. yeah 
So the next thing I want to talk about, you've mentioned very studiously throughout this that you enjoy indulging in alcoholic beverages. And that is, uh, that, that's where your journeys led you right now. It's a really, really cool thing you're doing that I've enjoyed keeping up with on Snapchat and talking to you. And I know my parents have gone to a few of the events, but why don't you, uh, I'll give you a shameless plug here and talk to us about the, uh, the Easton Wine Project. All right. So the Easton Wine Project is, um, by definition, a urban winery. So let me track back to how I got involved and before it was even called the Easton Wine Project and how it's all led to this. I used to work at a golf course, as some people may know, in Easton. The pay isn't great at uh, being a golf course. Best, still one of my favorite jobs ever, if not the best job, but they don't pay well. So anyways, I had to get a part-time job to help financially stabilize myself. And I was working at this gas station at the time, and I absolutely hated it. I mean, I was not enjoying the even the little bit of eight hours a week that I spent there. So the one night I was just sitting there, and I guess it hit me even more than usual, like how much I hated being there. So I got on my phone and just started swiping through, you know, all these job sites. And ironically, on Craigslist, I found this just vineyard worker, very basic, like $10 an hour, details meet in person. And there was a phone number. So I was like, you know what? This is is a, the vineyard's right in Williams Township, which is right next to Easton. So I figured I can go there right after work. It wouldn't be out of my way and I can make some extra money. So I ended up getting this part-time job. It's kind of a bullshit job, to be honest. Just $10 an hour, nothing crazy. Uh, on the books, though, always for the record. <laughs> um, so anyways, I start working there part-time, and these two guys that run the place are named Justin and Bo, my two current bosses and owners of the Eastern Wine Project winery. And I start talking to them, more and more every day when I would show up about the whole process of making wine and how, you know, this grape tastes like this and what you do for this one that tastes like this and how you take care of all the different species or not species, but uh, like genetic makeups of the different varieties of grapes. And that led me to just being more and more interested. Every day I would show up there with eagerness to learn, just like printing vines was one thing, but being able to listen to these two talk about why we were doing what we were doing was way more mentally intriguing than the physical labor of what it was. Which, by the way, every time I drink wine now, I have a whole different viewpoint on how much work goes into that simple $10 bottle of wine. Yeah, I bet. But so I'm working at the I'm working at the vineyard part time and they start talking about every time I show up how much work they need to get done. Like they don't have a lot of help and they're always asking me to, you know, any day I can show up, they would very much appreciate it. So I asked them if I could bring on my one buddy who I worked with at the golf course. He was actually my one of my bosses. He was one of the assistant superintendents. His name's Dan. Um, so I'm like, yeah, it's this buddy Dan who can show up. And uh, he can help out, you know, the same days I show up, he'll show up and we can bang out twice as much. And they were like, awesome. So uh, my buddy Dan starts working with me and Dan's a huge homebrew guy, way more into it than I am. Not saying I don't enjoy it. He's just way more eager. Like he's always making new beers. He's got a home kegerator. He's, he's into the industry. And uh, we both just started taking on this part-time job on a whole other level. Like once harvest time came around, 
we were working eight hours at the golf course and then eight hours or more harvesting grapes into like the late hours, leaving there when it's pitch black, dark out, like coming home, my girlfriend's like, what the hell are you doing all day? Like, <laughs> you know, just obviously I've been gone for like 16, 18 hours and right. like no one appreciates that. So anyways, the harvest ends and they're talking about opening up this bar where they're going to sell all the wine that we obviously just harvested. And Dan and I just start throwing out, like, we'll help in any way possible. And they were kind of, like, touch off about it. I don't think they knew how much they could handle paying people to help out and all this stuff. And then it came down to me and Dan went to this healthcare meeting at our full-time job at the golf course. And our rates went up, like, 76%. That's, like, non-exaggeration. Wow. Like, a ridiculous, like, unheard of amount. Like, jaws literally, like, dropped, like, throughout the, throughout the meeting. Because people were just like, okay, is there, like, ex- like a living expense increase? And they're like, uh, not at the moment. And everyone's kind of just looking around, like, um, okay, like. Yeah, how am I going to so, afford to live? Yeah. Yeah, like, everyone's like, okay, like, this is really this is a it hit at that point that it was an environment where you couldn't be successful so i had to find an environment where i could be successful as far as jobs go so dan and i contacted the guys at the vineyard and we said hey we know you're opening up this bar and no offense we know you guys need help if we could come on full time with you guys like we would do it for like the same amount we make now but we'll be just more happy to do it. There'll be a better workplace for us. And they were kind of like hesitant for a while. And then a couple of weeks went by and uh, they called us and they were like, hey, like, are you going to be around on Thursday? And we we're like, yeah, we can be around to like help like at the farm if you need it or the vineyard. We call it the farm. But um, yeah, we can help out. What do you guys need? And they were like, well, like do A, B and C. But then after that, wait around till we get home and we'll have a job offer for you for that full time position we were talking about. And we were like, oh, my God, like the it was this was on like Monday. So for three days, no, me and Dan were pretty much just yeah. like, you know, building it up like, you know, what if we could hit this? And what if we, you know, like all these only the fantasy positive parts of jobs kind of came out in that three days. And uh, to not to our surprise, because they're great guys, Bo and Justin, but a pleasant surprise. They offered us. A better package in every single way from personal time off, pay, work hours, work environment. Everything was simply an improvement from our current thing. So that's how Dan and I became employees of the East and Wine Project. We're the first two. We're number one in one, um, yeah, which is a big cool feeling, being in on the ground floor of something. Like, who knows where it will take off? You know, like uh, some bars are very successful and you know, you can make a lot of money running a bar. So, I mean, if it takes off, who knows? You know, they've talked about they don't want to run the bar forever or they don't want to run the vineyard forever. So one of Dan and I could run the bar and they could run the vineyard or vice versa. Or one of Dan runs the bar and I run the vineyard. Like there's all these dream possibilities that may come about uh, from finding these guys. But back to what it actually is. So, as I mentioned, our vineyard for the grapes is in Williams Township, uh, which is right next to Eastern Pennsylvania. And what we do is we grow our own grapes and make 
handcrafted premium wines, but at a reasonable price. And the reason I call them premium is because they're they're wines that are not so generically known. Like, yeah, we have a Cab Sav, we got a Merlot, we got a Chardonnay, but we got ones, we got some ones that I think, unless you're into wine, you want to know about. Like, we have a a Vidal Blanc or a Sevadal or a Traminet. Like when I first got started hearing about these names, like I've never heard about a Turner wine before. Like, and that's a that's a that's a popular one, I guess. And there, we also have the Cayuga, which I had a trouble time even pronouncing at first, let alone knowing it was a wine. So what we do is we make really good locally grown wines, and then uh, yeah, we simply sell them at our winery which we've been building for the last couple months. That will be located in Easton. So the vineyard's in Williams Township, the winery's in Easton. They're about five miles apart, if that. It's like a 10-minute drive. But um, we'll be opening that in the next coming weeks. Actually, I think this Friday is going to be our opening. I don't know if we'll call it our grand, but we'll be open on Friday. This will probably be released well after that. So that would be uh, February 23rd or 24th. So it's, what's the date today? I don't know the date. My phone's obviously on a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, in the next couple of days, we'll be officially opening, which will be exciting. And uh, hope people come and check it out. We got, uh, we offer, I think the big thing that sets us apart from most wineries is besides having some varieties that a lot of people don't take advantage of growing is... Uh, we will be selling beer and liquor as well. So say a guy comes with his girlfriend or, you know, whatever, even vice versa. If, you know, the people you come with, not everyone likes wine, but usually between those three options at a bar, someone can find something they like. But we haven't found that to be uh, the case with many wineries locally in our area. A lot of them only offer wine, which makes total sense. But we're trying to appeal to a little bit of everyone. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, uh, that's, that's a very long explanation of what the Easton Wine nah, Project is. It's a cool is. story, though. That's awesome. What it, what, it, uh, what it really is is just two guys, Bo and Justin. In, Bo inherited this vineyard. It's 30-plus years old, so it's fully mature. So we're not – when we harvest, we're harvesting you know, tons a day off of only like a six-acre farm. So we get a lot out of it from the maturity of the plant. And we – Take a lot of effort and a lot of time to make the wines delightful and full of character. There's no shortcuts. There's no overwatering down. There's no non-natural ingredients. We use pure sugar. There's no terrible pesticides. I think the only pesticide we really use is sulfur, which is natural. It's a very environment. I want to. I don't want to go and claim that we're green by any means. I don't want to step on anyone's toes with that. But we're very conscious and conscious about keeping it pure and simple as it can be, while keeping it sophisticated. I guess is a good way to put it. Well, they'll have you doing marketing soon enough. To keep talking like that. <laughs> so you, uh, you sell it well. <clears throat> On paper, they call me the operational manager, but um, that's uh, that's that's loosely called that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, uh, two employees, you do a little bit of everything, yeah. As much as Bo, Bo and Justin are definitely the owners, and they're obviously financially floating it, but my buddy Dan and I are uh, are just as much as making the, the thing happen as, as they are, in my opinion. I mean, sure. I've been working crazy days, 12, 
plus hour days just trying to get this place open just so other people can experience the wine that we've already put in so much effort into to get the doors open so other people can enjoy it as much as we have and maybe take a seat back and fantasize about taking a weekend off <laughs> yeah well, at least you'll have plenty of wine to drink no matter what right <laughs> uh yeah yeah we uh it's uh i've never when i go to restaurants now i actually was telling my girlfriend last time we were out when i see a big stack of wine glass or wine bottles now it, it's a lot of people see that and they think it's a lot of wine but like when you're we, we hand bottle and press everything so we're talking like 55 gallons gets you i don't know 200 uh or not 24 cases of wine like 240 bottles of wine for 50 gallons and we have like 5,000 plus gallons. Oh, wow. So the amount of cases is just... It's like a wall of wine. Yeah, I mean, you need a calculator for it. It's just pretty crazy. insane. So do you guys have like a website where people can go check it out or order wine online? Yeah, absolutely. So you, we have a website, Facebook, Instagram. If those three things, you can check us out on any of those. The website is simply the EastonWineProject.com. Uh, you're more than welcome to buy some wine off of that website. Um, can you ship it you in PA outside, now? If you live outside Pennsylvania, uh, currently we don't have the license to ship to you, but that will be changing quickly. Maybe even by the time this thing is released, we'll have that license, I imagine. But if you are local enough to the area or on a trip or just want to make a trip to come out, you can come see us. Um, we're in Easton, as I said. A broad location would be the corner of 13th Street and Bushkill Drive. And to be exact, you can put it in your GPS as 1247 Simon Boulevard, Easton, PA. And that will bring you right to our front door. There you go. Just look for the big sign that says Easton Wine Project. <laughs> you yeah, I'm, can't ex- miss it. I'm excited to come check it out. I told you my parents yeah, I, my parents brought a couple bottles, so I've sampled the wine, but I'm excited to see the whole bar and you know see it for myself. It'll be cool. It's, it's a very exciting time for me. I've never uh, had an opportunity like this to be like a starting ground floor employee at some place. I've actually my resume is is uh, quite brief. I've literally worked at Stones Crossing and then Northampton Country Club, basically. I've had a couple part-time jobs here and there, but I don't obviously put those on the resume. So it's just it's just very exciting how it all started out. I actually, when I originally started working there part-time, um, I was talking to my one friend's parents and just talking to them about the whole job of working at a winery and, or a vineyard and how we're going to be opening up a winery. And I may work part-time once the bar opens, too. And they just said, yeah, like, stick with it. Like, you never know what it will turn out into. Like, you never know. It's almost a little crazy how much foreshadowing uh, that conversation was because uh, not that I had any intentions of leaving, but they were absolutely correct on, you know, going from a $10 an hour part-time just beer money gig to, you know, being a manager with a business card making phone calls to create other business relations. It's just it's it's been a crazy transition over the last couple months yeah and i I couldn't be any more excited for it a lot of not a lot that's actually a lie a few people were like cautious saying like you know is it smart to get in on the ground floor like all this 
things that could go bad and blah, blah, blah. And I think it's really easy to, like, focus on those type of perspectives. But, like, I don't know, why not focus on, you know, but what could it be? You know, what what could I gain from this? And who knows where it'll take me. And I'm just not along for the ride because I'm a bit more uh self-driven than that but i'm definitely I'm definitely riding the wave as long as i can with them because it's just they're just good people yeah. and i think they have a cool idea and it's wine and everyone loves wine <laughs> yeah that's true well i think you make a good point i mean you can always fo- there's, there's always negatives and positives to everything and I, for me in my life, what I've found is whatever you focus on is what ends up happening so if you spend your time focusing on everything that can go wrong that tends to be what happens. Things go wrong. But if you focus on the positives, and that's also what tends to happen is the positive. So it's, I'm sure there's a better way to put that into words, but it's basically like, you know, whatever you think about is what you, whatever you put out into the world is what, you know, comes back to you. I guess that's karma. I don't know. But yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I definitely think it's karma. And I think karma is like super important. I think a lot of people could afford to be a bit more caring and nice to other people especially people they don't know and i think i think if people saw the positive more and focused on the positive that it would it's hard to explain how much better the world would be in my opinion if people did that